Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. That was very warm, and I feel loved. Uh, we are so excited that you're here. Hey, do us a favor. If you get a chance, uh, on, on the inside of, on the inside, it's only one side. I don't know why I just sit on the inside. On the bottom of the brochure that you were handed when you walked in of the worship folder, there's a name where you can give us your information, and if you haven't already, Please give us your information so we can let you know when exciting things are happening and going on. We want to keep you informed. We want you to know what's going on at Mission View Church because we want you to be a part of what's going on at Mission View Church. And we're so excited that you're here with us celebrating Christmas this morning. So if you get a chance, just fill out that communication card. And in a minute, uh, later on this morning, we're going to pass around a basket. and Just feel free to throw that card in the basket, and that would help us out so much. So thanks in advance for, for doing that. Uh, want to let you know, because of Christmas, the offices will be closed after tomorrow. So the offices are open tomorrow, but after tomorrow, the offices are closed for the rest of the week, and the next week, they'll be closed on New Year's Day. But just in case you need to get us, you can still call the office phone number, and it will be transferred to us, but the, there, there will be nobody at the offices after tomorrow. So the offices are open tomorrow, but after tomorrow, they are closed. If you're like, hey, we have offices, yeah, we do, and they're over at the old Hoover District. Uh, feel free to come join us if you can find us. We're on the fourth floor of this white building, uh, 219 East Maple Street. Come hang out with us. It's a lot of fun, and uh, we'd love to see you sometime. But that's where the offices are. Hey, if you've missed a Sunday and you're like, I really need to hear what Steve shared, um, or I really need to hear what Brian shared, okay, that's probably not ever going to happen. But if you're like, I really need to hear what Steve or Brian shared, or I was there and it was just, I, I want to hear it again, I want to listen. Did they really just say that? Let me make sure I got that right. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on iTunes at Mission View Church, and then it can automatically be downloaded to your phone. So as you're working out or driving to work or driving home from work, wanting to cuss at all your coworkers, you can listen to the Bible instead. Well, the preaching of the Bible. And that would be a better response than sending that angry text to your boss, which might get you fired anyways. So feel free to subscribe to our podcast. It will keep you employed and a much happier person. Hey, I want to remind you, something we're passionate about here at Mission View Church are community groups. What community groups are, they're groups of 10 to 16 uh, individuals who meet once a week, and they discuss the sermon, they talk about what's going on in each other's lives, they pray together, some have snacks, some eat full meals, but it is an incredible time for you to get to know people and get invested in one another's lives. So please don't miss out, please don't miss out on the community groups, and those will be restarting the second week of January. If you want to be involved, if you want to join a community group, feel free to go to our website, missionviewchurch.org slash community groups, or see somebody at one of the information tables. We want every single person to be invested and involved in community groups because we understand that life is not Life's not just for us, all right? We're, we're to be invested and involved in one another's lives. And so we really encourage you to take part of a community group and be invested and involved in one of those. Tonight at 6 o'clock right here, we have our Christmas event, which is Celebrate with Family. And we really hope that you make it a priority, if you can, to be here, invite friends or your neighbors or your family members, since it is Celebrate with Family, invite your family members uh, if you're like, I'm going to see a lot of them over the next couple days, it's okay. It's a lot of singing, so you don't really have to talk. But just be kind. Invite them uh, to join you tonight. Celebrate with family right here, 6 o'clock. Do not miss it. And today, when you walked in, you were handed two sheets, which is different than normally because normally you're only handed one sheet. 
And if you haven't taken the time to look at the other sheet, what it is is an affirmation of membership. Today, we, in just a minute, we're going to play our third membership video. And uh, that will be the final membership video. All of them are available on our website in case you've missed one of them or two of them. MissionViewChurch.org. You can go there to watch the other membership videos. But if you're like, hey, I've been checking out Mission View. I want to be a part of this. Uh, today we passed out the affirmation of membership. We're going to pass those out again next week. We're going to start collecting those today. So if you've watched all the videos, if you're in agreement with where we stand on things, if you're like, hey, I want this to be my church, we're just going to ask you to take that affirmation of membership to sign it. You can turn it in today. You can turn it in next week. We're going to extend it into January for a couple weeks because we understand some people have been gone for Christmas and for New Year's. But today is the first day that you can do that. And so we'd encourage you, if you want to be part of this church, if everything you've seen so far, you're like, yes, I can agree to that. And this is where this is where I and my family want to be. Then we'd encourage you today to fill that out, sign that, and turn it in. Right here is the third and final membership video. It's so good to see you. Merry Christmas. Hope to see you again tonight. Membership at Mission View Church is important for a couple of reasons. First, we're just going to be honest with you. Church membership isn't really mentioned in the New Testament. But while it might not explicitly be mentioned in the New Testament, the idea is certainly one that is familiar with the New Testament. First thing is this. When you become a Christ follower, when you become a Christian, you're already part of the universal church. You're already part of the Bride of Christ. Membership at Mission View is you becoming part of the local assembly of that universal church. Secondly, it's important because God at the moment of salvation equips all believers with a special gift. It's called a spiritual gift. Now, spiritual gifts are, are like individuals. They're, they come in a variety of forms and fashions. They come in, in different ways. And just as multiple people aren't talented in the same way, multiple people aren't gifted in the same way. And this is important in the life of the church because if everybody was gifted in the same exact way, there would be some areas where we're really great at and yet other areas where we're absolutely terrible. This is the beauty of the diversity of the spiritual gifting of the body and of the body so that all different talents and gifts merge together as one collection that can, that can come together and best serve God for His glory. So that people who are gifted and talented in a variety of ways all merge together with one common goal. That's why it's so important to be part of this church. So if you have accepted Christ to come in your life and be your Savior, and you can, and you can affirm the seven things from Scripture that, that all of the church will affirm, then we invite you to come and be part of this church to make it yours.
Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. The tricky clock tick-tocking, each painfully long minute unlocking. The tumbly-jumbly can't-close-your-eyes feeling. What will it be? When will it be? Oh, the anticipation, the watching, the wishing and waiting to let the wiggles and giggles and goosebumps go. To find, to see, to finally know. What will it be? When will it be? Oh, the expectation, the what-ifs, the oh-mys fairly shaking, longing for this night's joy all year, that moment of hope so very near. Oh, but would they, could they, imagine a gift so great, a gift that compelled the whole world to wait? When a heavenly Father gave all mankind his Son, the one love defined. The magic of Christmas is more brilliant, you see, than a bag or a box tucked under a tree. The true love of Christmas really began when holy God became holy man. Joseph, it's time. He's here. Good morning, everyone. It's good to have everyone here on our Christmas Sunday at Mission View. We're glad that you could be here to worship together. Um, I hope that you guys are encouraged by what's happening in our children's ministry. Uh, Kelly and her team do a phenomenal job. I know she's not here, but let's encourage her, and uh, she can watch it on tape. So. We're a ministry that wants to minister to the, to the whole body of Christ, uh, from young and to old, from cradle to grave. Um, we want to make sure that we're ministering at every level of life. Uh, I know some of you are thinking, shouldn't we be taking the offering right now? Uh, we're going to be doing that in a little bit, but what I thought we would do is we'd go to the Word first. And then we're going to have a time of response and worship of our great king at the very end of the service. The worship team will be coming out and we'll be playing three or four songs and just having a time of, of focus. But right now what I'd like us to do is open God's word together. I'd like you to open to Psalm chapter 2. Now, I don't know about you, but as I look at the news and I watch things even that happened this week... I would gather that the world doesn't have a very good understand about what Christmas is all about. I know some of you guys were watching the Phil Robertson thing on Duck Dynasty and all the dialogue that's going on in Facebook and Twitter and different places. Um, and I know it's interesting to, it's fascinating for me just to watch the world's perspective of trying to understand a believer. And I'll talk a little bit about that here in a little while in the service. But as I think about the world, the world's not going to understand Christ. They're really not going to understand Jesus. They're not going to understand the king that has come to us. What they're going to understand is giving, um, getting gifts. They're going to understand about friends or parties or status. They're going to understand maybe family. 
But what they're not going to understand is Jesus. That is, unless Jesus quickens their hearts and helps people to understand what the true meaning of Christmas is all about. And it's not about the gifts. It's not about the, the, the social gatherings. It's about a king, a king who was prophesied to come, who came in a manger, who lived a perfect life, and then went to a cross to die for all humanity out of a deep love for his creation. So today we're going to look at that. And my hope is that we can take a step back and gain perspective and get a mindset both this morning and tonight of what it's all about. And for us to be reminded that this is about the king. This is about the king who has come, that was prophesied about. And as a result of us understanding this, my hope is that we would want to fall before him, that we would want to yield our life completely to Christ, that we would want to surrender every aspect of our worship to this great God and King. We're going to see that in Psalm chapter 2. We'll look at that here in a minute. Psalm chapter 2, let me give you the context. King David was pinning these words, and King David wrote it as a messianic psalm, meaning he knew it was about the Messiah. He knew that this was a prophecy that God had laid on his heart of things that were yet to be happening, that were yet to happen. And yet King David could write it from a king's perspective because he was coronated. He was crowned as king. And he knew what kingship was all about. And so when King David writes this, he writes it from a king's perspective. Now, interestingly, King David knew because of the message God put on his heart that Jesus would not be received well on earth. He knew that when he came that the world would not rejoice, the world would not just wrap their arms around Jesus and say, oh, finally the peace has come to earth. Peace has come to this earth and, and everybody was in harmony. No, no, he knew that the world would reject this Messiah. And so at the very beginning of this psalm, we see this rejection. So this morning, here's the breakdown of the psalm. We're going to look at how the world, the resolve of the world, and how the world is always going to rebel against what they don't understand. Then we're going to look at the resolve of the Father and how the Father would bring accountability. And then we'll look at the resolve of the son who's crowned as king and his responsibilities as king. And finally, it brings it down to an application for you and I. What will our resolve be? What will we do as a result of understanding that Christ is the king? So let's take a look at God's word, Psalm chapter 2, and let's look at the first three verses. And we're starting off with the resolve of the world, and the resolve of the world is to rebel the David writes, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst the bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Now in this first, the first three verses, I want you to understand what's happening here. 
David is writing this prophecy, and he is predicting that this Messiah would be rejected and would have adversaries. Now, David knew what it was like to have adversaries. The surrounding nations to David rejected him. They rejected his kingship, and they came against him constantly in war. David represented light. He represented truth. And please understand that just as with David, light and truth was rejected by the world, so would be true of the Messiah who would come. Light and truth would always be rejected. There would be ones that would argue for lies, those that would argue for darkness. And this is basically what he is saying. Why do the nations rage? He asks a rhetorical question, almost demanding a response of, well, why would anybody rage against God? Why would, in light of all that God has done for mankind, the fact that he gives us his goodness, the fact that he, share, he rains down righteousness on us and, and has showed us the way, even today we look at the rain, and we get plenty of rain in Ohio, but with the fruit of the land and the, the, the abundance that we have as individuals and the fact that God has made that provision, why would we reject that? Why would we reject the fact that God gave us his son, his only son, to die for our sins? Why would anybody in their right mind reject this? This is what David is writing in this prophecy. Why? Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Then he goes on and, and David shows what happens in verses 2 and 3. What would happen? He says this, the kings of the earth set themselves. Now that phrase I'm going to explain in a minute. Set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, let's burst the bonds and cast the cords away from us. Now the phrase anointed is a picture of the Messiah. It's a prediction that there would be one who is called the anointed one. And the actual word that's used in the Hebrew, if you were to transcribe it into the Greek, into the New Testament language, it would mean Christ. He's talking about the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one that would come. Now, what would happen? David is predicting. What would happen is that the council of the nations, the people of around, would set themselves against. In other words, that phrase means to make war against. He's making a prediction that when this anointed one comes, that the world would not receive him and that they would make war against him. So is it any surprise that when Christ was born, that war started? Is it any surprise that King Herod said, go throughout Bethlehem and kill every child to and under because he was attempting to destroy what was known to be the king of the Jews, the king, the Messiah that, was com that had come? Is it any surprise that during Jesus' earthly ministry that people rejected him constantly and he faced opposition? I find this interesting, Jesus' own words in John 7. He says this, the world hates me. Now, there's no black and white, no, no gray in there, is there? I mean, it's just black and white. The world hates me, and here's why. Because I testify about it that its works are evil. So why, does the, why did the world hate Jesus Christ? Because he called him out. He said, this is sin, this is wrong. And nobody then wanted to hear 
that their sin, what they were doing, was sinful to God. Kind of sounds familiar today, doesn't it? This is what Jesus did. And as a result of that hatred, it took them to the extreme of crucifying, crucifying Jesus. In a way, the death of Jesus was a way of getting rid of the problem. It was like getting rid of the bondage. It was almost as if they were thinking Jesus was binding us and putting us in bondage. And as a result, the David predicted, they would say, let us burst the bonds apart. Cast away their cords away from us. You see, the world's resolve has always been to get away from God, to reject Jesus. Now, here's the irony. The irony is that Jesus did not come to create bondage. He simply identified the bondage that people were already in. That's what Jesus did. Jesus identified the bondage. And you know what Jesus also did? He was so politically incorrect in his day and age. He didn't just leave it in general by calling it sin. He actually named the sin for what it was. Listen to this passage in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, Jesus is teaching and he says, From within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, Sexual immorality, and by the way, that phrase was a catch-all phrase that encompassed all sexual sins that deviated from God's design. Homosexuality, lesbianism, premarital sex, these were encompassed in that word. He goes on, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And notice what he says. All these evil things come from within, and they defy a person. Now, can you imagine if Jesus were to say that, and he was to live in our current society with social media as it is? Can you imagine what the public would do with Jesus by making a statement such as, as that in Mark chapter 7. What would happen if he lived here today and he said, hey guys, I'm going to tell you what sin is. And he lists them. Let's just say GQ magazine was to interview Jesus. And they say, Jesus, tell us, could you define sin? Well, yes, I can. I'll define sin. Sin, it comes from within. It comes from the heart of man. It comes from the evil thoughts, such as sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defy a person. Now, hypothetically speaking, if you were to have this, you would have every news agency all of a sudden reporting on this popular Jesus on what he publicly proclaimed. E! News would have it, Fox News, Huffington Post, Entertainment Weekly, U.S. News and World Report, Parade, Yahoo TV, and continue on. On every major network, you would have interviews going on. And what the, the, the anchor people would do is they would have people from every segment of life. You would have maybe the liberals who and maybe in that would be a homosexual and you would have the moderates and you would have those people and then you would have the conservative and you would have them bantering back and forth as to why Jesus said this and how outrageous. The, the, the left would say, man, this, was, this is hate speech. This should be banned. This shouldn't happen in America anymore. This is hate speech. 
And you have the moderate person saying, well, listen, Jesus, he just, he really doesn't reflect what the good book says, you know? He just, it's not very nice of him to say that. And of course, the conservative would be saying, free speech, free speech, it's awesome. Now, what you wouldn't have in any of those is people actually identifying what was actually happening. That Jesus was saying these things out of love because he wanted people to realize that they were out of bounds with God and that God simply wanted them to come into a relationship with him. My friends, if this were to happen today, I believe activist groups would call on the boycott of the church. This is an actual slide that was taken of an atheist parade. Take note of what was being said. If Mary had had an abortion, we wouldn't be in this mess. That happened today. This, this day in our age. And I believe there would be a media crucifixion on Christ. Maybe by putting all this in modern terms, we can understand why Jesus wasn't accepted 2,000 years ago in society and he was thus put to death and we can understand why he's not accepted today. My friends, we should never be, be surprised by the resolve of the world to not accept God because they don't understand truth. And we as Christians can't lick our wounds and say, oh, woe is me because they were persecuted. Of course we're persecuted. Of course we're not going to be understood. But guess what we can do as a response? Do we revolt? Do we stand up and fight? No. We do what Jesus did. Even in the midst of ignorance, we serve society and we love them and show them the character of Christ in our life. Because Jesus, even in the midst of his enemies saying that we got to get rid of them, he said, I will willingly lay down my life on the cross for sinful man because it is the only avenue by which sinful man could be saved. You see, what man meant in rebellion, God did intentionally out of love. He allowed his son to go to the cross. This was the vehicle that was in the heart of God all the way when Psalm 2 was written that he would send his son and he would be rejected by society. He knew it, but he did it anyway. The king has come. Have we bowed our heart before the king? Or are you like those that would reject this truth? There's a dilemma that you must solve in your own heart. We move on in the passage. We see the resolve of God. Look at verse 4. This is interesting. And, and the resolve of God is to hold accountable. And we see this. Verse 4, he says, He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Now, what this is saying is it's transferring the scene. It's almost like a picture going from earth and the chaos of people rejecting the, the king that G God has sent. And now we go all the way into the tranquility of heaven. And in heaven, we see the father and the father laughs. Now, this wasn't one of those belly laughs like a good joke was told. This was a laugh of pity because he knew that he was over and holding accountable those that are evil. He knew what was going on. He knew the provision that he was making. Take a look at what he says in verse, uh, verse 5. 
Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. See, when David was writing this, David was writing these words, and all he could see was this future Messiah, and it was almost as if it was one event. But down the channels of time, he saw that there would be wrath that would come. Now, this didn't come at the time of Christ. In fact, there is a wrath that is yet to come that we haven't even experienced. See, Jesus introduced this time of grace Fortunate for us that we have this time of grace where God desires that each of us would fall into a relationship, come into a a living, vibrant relationship and not experience the wrath. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want that wrath to come. But the fact is we have a God that will rectify everything and there will be a day of accountability. If you want to read about it, read it in Revelations. You will see the full vengeance of God that will come someday. But he says this also in verse, in verse, five, or verse 6. He says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, on my holy hill. See, he called the Messiah the king. He's the king. I have set my king. My son is the king. And I have set him on the holy hill on Zion. Zion was a reference for Jerusalem. And the holy hill was the avenue by which he would become king. It would go through a cross. Now let me ask you, doesn't that seem weird to become a king via the cross? But that is exactly what he was doing. It would be on the holy hill. This is what Philippians was talking about. When Philippians says, and I, and being found in human form, Philippians 2, being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And notice what happens through the cross. Then he says, therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus in heaven and earth they shall kneel down and bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. See, it was through the avenue of the cross that he became king. That is unlike what David could experience or any other king. Let me ask you, what king travels the Via Della Rosa with people saying, crucifying, crucifying? What king allows a crown of thorns to be put upon his head? What king allows a purple robe to be thrusted upon his scourged, back, scourged and bloody back? What king allows himself to be lifted up upon the cross as people mocked and yelled and scorned at him? My friends, the answer is only a servant king who saw the greater good of mankind in his heart and thus he willingly laid down his life, the perfect for the imperfect, the sinless for the sinful. Yes, the king has come. He is the king. What will we do with this king? Will we bow before him? I want to pause for a moment, and I want us to think about what God has done. I want you to think about this gospel message and how it applies to you. Watch this. It's the full story of life crushed into four minutes. The entirety of humanity in the palm of your hand crushed into one sentence. Listen, it's intense, right? God, our sins, paying everyone life. The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told, God. 
Yes, God, the maker and giver of life. And by life, I mean any and all manner and substance, seen and unseen, what can and can be touched, thoughts, image, emotions, love, atoms, and oceans, God. All of it is handiwork, one of which is masterpiece, made so uniquely that angels look curiously. The one thing in creation that was made with his imagery, the concept so cold, it's the reason I stay bold, how God breathed in a man and he became a living soul. Formed with the intent of being infinitely, intimately fond, creator and creation held an eternal bond. And it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong. A species got deceived and started lusting for his job. An odd list of complaints as if the system ain't working and used that same breath he graciously gave us to curse him. And that sin seed spread through our soul's genome. And by nature of your nature, your species, you participated in the mutiny, our, yes, our sins. It's nature inherited, black in the human heart. It was over before it started. Deceived from day one and led away by our own lust. There's not a religion in the world that doesn't agree that something's wrong with us. The question is, what is it and how do we fix it? Are we eternally separated from a God that may or may not have existed? But that's another subject. Let's keep grinding besides trying to prove God is like defending a lion, homie. It don't need your help. Just unlock the cage. Let's move on on how our debt can be paid. Short and sweet. The problem is sin. Yes, sin. It's a cancer. An asthma, choking out our life force, forcing separation from a perfect and holy God. And the only way to get back is to get back to perfection, but silly us. Trying to pass the course of life without referring to a syllabus. This is us. Keep up your good deeds. Chant, pray, meditate. But all of that, of course, is spraying cologne on a corpse. Or you could choose to ignore it as if something don't stink. It's like stepping in dog poop and refusing to wipe your shoe, but all of that ends with how good is good enough. Take your silly list of good deeds and line them up against perfection. Good luck. That's life past your pay grade. The cost of your soul, you ain't got a big enough piggy bank, but you could give it a shot. But I suggest you throw away the list, because even your good acts are an extension of your selfishness. But here's where it gets interesting. I hope you're closely listening. Please don't get it twisted. It's what makes our faith unique. Here's what God says as part A of the gospel. You can't fix yourself. Quit trying. It's impossible. Sin brings death. Give God his breath back. You owe him. Eternally separated, and the only way to fix it is someone die in your place. And that someone gotta be perfect, or the payment ain't permanent. So if and when you find a perfect person, get him or her to willingly trade their perfection for your sin and death in. Clearly, since the only one that can meet God's criteria is God, God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness. His death functions as payment. Yes, payment. Wrote a check with his life, but at the resurrection we all cheered because that means the check cleared. Pierced feet, pierced hands, blood-stained son of man, fullness, forgiveness, free passage into the promised land. That same breath that God breathed into us, God gave up to redeem us. And anyone and everyone, and by everyone I mean everyone, 
who puts their faith and trust in him and him alone can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness. And here's what the promise is, that you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity by simply believing in Christ and Christ alone. You are receiving life. Yes, life. This is the gospel. God, our sins, paying everyone life. I'm glad that the gospel gets you excited because that is an awesome thing. As we're looking at this king who has come, he knew, he knew that it was prophesied that he would be rejected, that he would go to the cross, but he did it because he wants you and I to have right relationship with him. He did it because of that. Now notice in the psalm that we go to the resolve of the king to rule in righteousness. We see the crowning moment in verse 7. It's the turning of the psalm. He says, I will tell the decree. Now God is saying it, the Father. He's not asking for an opinion. He is saying, this is my decree. I am God the creator. You are creation. I'm not asking for a vote. I'm not asking for your opinion. I'm not asking anything from you. I decree this is it. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Now that phrase, you are my son, is deep in meaning because it's taken from the Davidic covenant where God promised that on the throne of David there would be a righteous king, a ruler who would rule for all eternity. And he is saying Jesus Christ is the king. Now why is he the king? Because of the next phrase. Because today... I have begotten you. This was a phrase referring to the resurrection of the Messiah. We know that to be true because if you cross-reference it with Acts chapter 13, verse 32 and 33, the apostle Paul, in preaching a message of salvation, preaches this very verse, today I have begotten you, and refers it to the resurrection of the risen Lord, Jesus Christ. This is the crowning moment. This is what put him on the throne as king of kings and lord of lords. Because my friends, there's nobody else in through all, all of history who has claimed some form of deity that has risen from the grave. Name them. Try to find one. You can't. They're all dead. They're all gone. But there is only one who claimed deity, and his name is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ. He is the risen Lord. And this is what he is saying. And notice as a result of him being the righteous king, he gets an inheritance as a king. Kind of like a king being victorious in battle, there is a victory plunder that he gets. It is part of his reward. Take a look Look at the reward in verse 8. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. My friends, God doesn't ask, Jesus, the victorious king, doesn't ask for wealth. He doesn't ask for kingdoms. He doesn't ask for power. He's not looking for prestige. What he's looking for is people. 
People matter to him. People from every nation, every national group throughout the world, that's what matters. You say, well, Steve, why is that so important? Because God is always faithful to his promise. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, the forefather of the very Messiah, he said to Abraham, through you, I will bless all the nations of the world. In other words, through your family, there would be a Messiah who would come. And through that Messiah, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And my friends, I want you to know at Mission View, that's why we are Mission View. This is why we keep our mission in view. Because the mission is people. It's people here in North Canton. It's people in surrounding counties. It's people in other states. It's people in other nations. And my friends, that's why we want all the resources that we can to go do that. And I want you to know that we are building towards God's inheritance. We are building towards Jesus' inheritance. Every time we go on a mission project, like we'll have a team go out in January. When we go out on a mission project, Emily just came back from Thailand working there for the last three months. There's a lot going on that you don't even realize in this new church. But every time that happens, and every time the money is collected, like we're going to be doing here in a little bit, and that money is used for the advancement of the kingdom, what we're doing is we're advancing the, inher the inheritance of Christ. When people from different nations in Turkey and Thailand and other countries that we're working in, now you compound that by the universal church and what's happening around the world. And what's happening is that there is a harvest of nations that's coming right now that we can't even see, nor can we completely fathom. But let me tell you, there will be a day you will fathom it. There will be a day if you are a Christ follower that you will understand it. And I will tell you on that day, you will not be able to stand up because you will be in such all of God. Revelation says this, and they sang a new song talking about the redeemed. That's you and I. We're there singing the new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll talking about Jesus Christ to open its seal. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, from every language, from every people, from every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. What an awesome day it will be for all the nations to worship around the throne. Don't you think that will be an exciting day? It's going to be an incredible time. And we get to participate, not just then, right now. Right now in understanding what we are about. We're a part of this inheritance of Christ. But understand there's a sternness to this King Jesus. It says this in verse 9. He says, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. See, what this does is it tells us that King Jesus is also a judge. And the word for dash indicates a breaking process that people will go through. Now, it's interesting. When kings would go out for battle, it was known that they would often break pots. I think it was like a bunch of guys getting all psyched up, like, we're going to crush them, man, and they're crushing pots all over the place. And the, cr the cracking of the pots and the crushing of the pots, it was a symbol of what was going to happen to their enemy. 
Now, I want you to know that God does not take delight in the fact that there's going to be judgment someday. But the fact is, he, he desires for all to come repentance and that he would lose none. First Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3 says that he desires for none to perish but all to come to repentance. But the reality is that we will all answer and bow down to King Jesus. And we have a choice in this life. We have a choice of being broken now and following before him or being broken later. It was interesting, after talking to the religious leaders, Jesus made this statement. He says, and the one who falls on this stone, referring to himself, will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. What Jesus was saying to the religious leaders, you have a choice. You either fall before the king and you be broken before him now, or there will be a judgment where you will be held accountable. One way or another, we will be broken before the king. What will we do with this king? My friends, the king has come. The king has come. Have you bowed before this king? And so we come to the conclusion of this prophecy. We come to the conclusion, and it brings people to a decision, a decision to submit, to serve, and to worship. And I want you to think of those in your own life. Submit, serve, and worship. Let's see, in verse 10, he says this, Now therefore, O king, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to get them to engage their minds. He's going to have them engage their mind, their will, their heart. And in their mind, he says, I, you need to be wise. You need to submit to this king. Be warned. Think this one through because you are coming before a righteous king. And the action point for you and I today is this. Are you submitting yourself before God? You see, I fear there are some that do church and do religion, but they haven't really submitted their hearts completely to God. Will you submit to him? That's the step one of how we really appreciate what God has done this Christmas day, is that we submit ourselves completely to him. Open hands, Lord, I'm yours. Second, is that we engage the will. Take a look at verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Now, it's interesting here he's engaging the will because service is an act of, a, of the will. It is a choice. God doesn't make us serve him, but if we have a fear of God and all of God, then we are going to serve him, and the result of it will be an incredible joy, joy that cannot be experienced on a human level or an earthly level. You see, I believe God designed each and every one of us who are Christ followers to have an inexpressible joy in this life. And if you're sitting here and you say, Steve, I don't have that inexpressible joy, maybe it's because you have been operating in the realm of the mundane and you have been operating in the realm of serving you. And if we can get to that place where we stop thinking about us and we start thinking about our king and every day saying, God, I am here. I am your servant. I will be your mouthpiece. Whoever you want me to talk to, I will talk to. However you want me to use my resources, I will use my resources. However, I will do it for you because you are the king and I am your servant. When we do that, we hit a level of joy 
that is inexpressible. I think many believers kind of hit this ceiling. We get new faith in Christ and we're excited and all of a sudden we kind of wane a little bit and we start to decline. You know what we've hit? We've hit the service ceiling. We've hit the place where we, until we act in our will and say, I'm going to serve you on a daily basis, we will not experience that joy that we should. The action point is this. Have you made a choice to serve God with your life? And the final act involves the heart. He says in verse 12, kiss the son. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way of his wrath uh, is, is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. The key phrase here is kiss the son. Now, this was a picture of what would happen if someone came before a king. King David knew this because he was royalty. And whenever somebody would come in, they would come in and they would be willing to bow before the king and they would be willing to su submit themselves by kissing the king. And notice the attributes of the individual when they come before an earthly king. They're willing to show emotion. They're willing to bow down. They're willing to kiss. They're willing to show that kind of expression. And my friends, because we are the body of Christ, we get to show emotions as well with our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Sometimes when we come in here to worship, sometimes I wonder if some of us are thinking, well, I just got to sit here and I can't show emotions and I can't clap. I can't do it. Well, you don't do that at a Browns game. You don't do that at a concert. When you're there, you show excitement. Now, my goodness, compare anything in this life with being able to come before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, should we be able to raise our hands? Absolutely. The scriptures say that. Should we be able to bow down before him? Should we show emotions by kissing the son and saying, you are my God, you are my Lord? Some of you wonder, why does Marshall get fired up? This is just the way I am. God created me as an emotional being. And I am to show emotions as well. Because I have the greatest message. Someone once told me, Steve, you have about 35 minutes a week to make an impression. You better serve it with all of your energy and with all of your might. And if some of you are taken off by that, please understand, it's because of the passion that's in my heart that we serve our King. That we show love to Him that is incredible. When we meet together here, we're coming to worship this king. This is our God. This is our Lord. And my question is, are we worshiping him with all of our heart? Are we taking refuge in him? As we close out, what I believe we have before us is a choice. In life, we have choices. It's interesting. In Galatians chapter 6, we're told this. It says this, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whoever sows will also reap. And anyone who sows to the flesh, uh, according to that flesh, will reap corruption. But to the one who sows in the spirit, from that spirit will reap eternal life. I think in this life we have choices as parents. We have choices as individuals of what we're going to do and how we're going to spend the time. And when we operate each and every day, we're sowing. And we're either sowing for God or we're sowing for uh, the flesh. And my question is, what kind of harvest should you expect? 
Now, there are some people, if you're very honest, you would say, man, if you, when you put it that way, I mean, I really want the eternal life. I really want abundance from God. I really want the blessing. But if I'm honest with how I've sown in leadership in my family, I can't say that I, do, I deserve that with my children. I, 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 I don't deserve that with my coworkers. I don't deserve that. Well, here's the good news. God says, I accept you. And today's a new start. You simply bow before the king. You yield your life. And God makes us brand new. As we have our time of worship now, I'm going to have the worship band and I'm going to pray for the offering. I want you to think about your whole life. What I give in my finances, what I give in my time. And think about it as if you are presenting your gifts before the king. How will you respond? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Father, that you would do a mighty work in each and every one of us. I pray, Father, that as, as we have a chance to just lift our hearts up right now, I pray that you would take us, Lord. Take us in our imperfections and being mindful of the King that has come. Help us to to reflect on that and that we would make decisions with our minds, that we would make a decision with our will to serve you, that we would decide in our heart that we would worship you with all of our heart, with all of our being. Lord, I pray, Father, for each and every person here that you would do that work. Lord, we also pray for the inheritance of the nations that is coming in Israel. We thank you for uh, the silvers and for the work that they're doing. We pray for Karen and uh, Stefan. We pray that you would work uh, through the internet ministry that they have and the many Jewish people that they are engaging in and helping them understand the gospel. Be with them on a mission project that they're going to be going on in New Zealand. I pray that you would be with Karen as she uses music as a way to reach out. Lord, we also pray for area churches. We pray specifically for River Tree. We thank you that they are a gospel-proclaiming church. And we thank you that there's a transition going on from Greg Nettle to Jason Lance. And I thank you, Father, for that. I know both men are good men. I pray that your hand of blessing would be upon them, that the gospel would richly continue to go out through River Tree. And Lord, I pray that you would bless these offerings. Lord, we give them to you as our King, our Lord. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And we submit ourselves completely.